We are in a series right now, in our normal series, when we're at the house on leadership. We started it last week. Um, I put out a poll to the high school students and I asked them a couple months ago, what do you guys want to learn about? Like, what do you feel like is something that's an important topic to you? And leadership is one that came up. And I think it's because we all really like deep down want to be followed in some way, not like in a stalker way. Like none of us want to be followed. That, that would be weird. If you want to be followed in a stalker way, something's wrong with you. Um, we all want to be followed, though, in a sense, we want people to look up to us. Like, I think we all have that in us where we want to be respected, we want to be well-liked. Uh, I think that's why we post things on Instagram, because we want some sort of social recognition. Um, it doesn't even have to be, like, a super vain thing, but, like, if you're posting on Instagram, you do want people to like it. Like, if you got zero likes, it, there's no chance that you'd just be like, well, whatever. You'd probably delete it out of embarrassment. That's, I've, I've deleted posts out of embarrassment before. I'm like, oh, two likes after six months? I should probably just go jump off a bridge. Um, but I think deep down, every single one of us does want to be in some sort of leadership. And some of you guys are scared of that. Like Some of you guys like are like, I don't want to be in charge of the class project. I don't want to be the person who runs the company. But I think there is something built into us where we want to be in a place where people will follow us, like where we can rally people around us, whether it's our friends or our classmates or our family members. We want to be in a place where people look at us and say like, hey, I can get behind what you're doing because no one likes to be that person that no one listens to, like where you're, you come up with an idea and all your friends are like, let's do the opposite of that. Um, so the question comes to what makes a good leader? Like what is that look like? What makes a good leader? We talked about it last time. Is it being super loud? Is it having like a really strong personality? Is it being someone where, you know, you suggest someone and everyone just gets right behind it? Well, I think being a good leader is something where it takes not necessarily personality or charisma, but it takes the Holy Spirit. It takes being a good follower. It takes us saying, I am going to follow Jesus, and then others hopefully will follow that example as well. And I would argue tonight that like, being a good leader it involves being a risk taker, someone who takes risks. Now, like when you think of risks, which I think is honestly for a lot of people, it's like a huge part of like the teenage experience, sometimes in a good way, a lot of times in a bad way. Why do people take risks? Well, you know, one is just stupidity. Like for instance, anytime I see anyone walking around with an iPhone with no case on it, I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Why would you take that case? Does anyone here not have a case? Or why would you take that risk? Does anyone here not have a case? on their iPhone. Why would you take that risk, Casey? Casey, get a case. Go down to Walmart, get like a $2 case. It'll be awesome. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to imply that you guys without cases are dumb, but just what's wrong with you? Anyway, uh, another reason is science. Like seriously, there's a scientific reason that men take risks and it has to do with women, okay? Seriously, scientifically, men are more likely to perform risky or even life-threatening stunts in front of women they find attractive. Um, they get this boost of testosterone to their system that makes their brain kind of shut off and they go, me want to do impressive thing in front of girls. I've seen it plenty of times. Um, another thing, and this is the most important thing, I think people take risks because they see a goal and they say, 
I am willing to take a risk to achieve this goal. It is worth it to me to take this risk to achieve this goal. Now, for me, like, I was not really a risk taker growing up at all. Uh, how many of you guys have ever seen Rugrats, the show Rugrats? So you know Tommy? Uh, Tommy's the main character. White diaper, blue shirt, bald, like three hairs or something. But Tommy Finster, I think was his name. This is an old show, like in the 90s. But um, Tommy was the risk taker. And then he had this redheaded friend named Chucky. And Chucky was not the risk taker. He was the guy who, like, when Tommy was going to jump off something, Chucky was just like, I don't know about this. Like, this is a... That was me my whole life. In fact, uh, I remember in second grade, I moved here from Oregon, and I became best friends with a dude named Trevor Daigle. We were, like, little second grade buddies. And Trevor came over to my house one day for a play date, and uh, his idea of fun was, as a second grader, to climb up on the tallest wall possible at my parents' house and, like, jump off of it. And I was like, that's a weird idea, Trevor. And he's like, I'm going to do it. And so he climbed up on this wall, and literally, he was there for, like, five hours. He spent literally, like, four and a half hours hanging out of my house, psyching himself up to jump off that wall. He was standing up there, and he was going, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I was like, no, Trevor, don't do it. And he's like, I'm going to do it. And then my mom came over, and she's like, no, Trevor, don't do it. And, and he was just like, I'm going to do it. And then he jumped off this wall, and I don't know how tall it was. Like, it was probably, like, that big. But, like, as a second grader, that's huge. And it was on this slope with, like, all of these bushes he had to jump over. So he finally psychs himself up and jumps and, like, clears all the bushes, lands and rolls somersault into the middle of, like, the trafficy street, like, cars going by him. And his, re- his response to that jump was he sat up and he looked at me and he went, I want to do that again. And I was just like, what on earth? I was not a risk taker. But then high school came. And I decided I was going to be a risk taker. I decided that I was going to do something risky. So what I did was I went to family camp. And we went up to the San Bernardino Mountains up in family camp. And Brian Barrett was our uh, counselor leader that year. And so uh, every year, our counselor leader would take us up to Strawberry Peak, which is a fire lookout. It's like in the mountains. It's this huge tower. And this guy, his job is to sit up in that tower and look at all the forest and trees and make sure nothing's on fire. Because if the mountain catches on fire, then like everybody dies on the mountain. So it's a good job. seems really boring. But that was his job. I don't know why I'm rambling on that. But we went up there and we found something amazing. In high school, we were up there and we found this giant building in the mountains hidden in the trees. And it was surrounded by barbed wire fence. It was this abandoned warehouse. And so me and uh, this guy named Phil Danu who's this you know, musician guy now. But back then, he was just my friend with a bowl cut. Um, and so uh, we went into the trees, and we found this abandoned warehouse, and we said, we should go in. And it was like this moment of like elation for me because I was like, I'm going to be a risk taker. And we went into this place, and it was me and Phil in the beginning. We, we, we climbed over the fence, and we went to this building, and we found a hole in the wall. And so we climbed through the hole in the wall, and we were in this abandoned building, and it was insane. It was like literally it looked like a bomb had gone off in the building. There was like old machines and, and, and just like papers everywhere and desks pushed over. We like went into these offices, and we found like bullets in a drawer and like this flask of alcohol and like an old journal of some guy who worked there. Literally the most boring journal was just like December 5th, 1979, the machines are working. December 6th, 1979, the machines are still working. December 2nd, so not that exciting, but still it was so cool. And then 
we found this stairwell and we went down the stairwell, down, down, down into the depths of the building. I remember going down the stairs and there was this like red, it was like pitch black, but there was this red light at the very bottom of the stairwell. And we're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. And I was like, the old Aaron would be like, no, 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 let's leave, we're gonna die. But I was like, no, no, I'm Aaron in 10th grade. I'm a risk taker. (laughs) So I decided I was gonna go down to the red light room and we opened it up and it was this crazy room called the chalkboard room. That's what we called it because it was weird. There was like rocking chairs in there and like the floor, it was a tile floor, but it looked like someone had tried to like dig their way out of the room and there was a chalkboard in the room with crazy scribbles all over it and it was like, people had written weird stuff on there like, like uh, it's been 200 days in this hell and just like weird stuff like that and like scribbles all over the board and it was freaky. Like for, for a moment we thought we were going to die, but we got out of there and, and it was so rad and I was like, oh my gosh, I took a risk and it felt so rad. I felt like this amazing, like, just man. I had an afro, and I wore, like, seven shirts. And I, see, I'm only wearing two shirts now. I've grown. But back then, it was like, I was so layered up and weird. Anyway, um, the cool thing was everybody in high school, like, thought me and Phil were, like, awesome at that point. And everyone was like, take us to the warehouse. You've got to show us the warehouse. So we brought them, and, it, like, we were giving tours of this abandoned warehouse. And it, they just became this legend, Okay. So then we come back the next year, family camp, so now I'm a junior, and all of a sudden the building was closed off, and the hole had been patched up. We found out that the building was owned by AT&T, the company, but in the past it was owned by the military and was used by the American military to fight the Russians during the Cold War. So just intense. It was like this intense thing. So every year we kept coming back. And the building was still closed up. And we tried to get in, and it was still closed up. So this went on for years. Well. Probably about, I don't know, three or four years ago, now like I'm an adult, like I'm married, like high school's been over for a long time. And I come back up to this abandoned warehouse and me and my friends every year would try to get in. We're like, we're like you know, grown men now trying to break into this abandoned warehouse. Also, we work at a church and we're trying to trespass, so probably not the best risk to take for sure. Like actually Phil, my friend Phil Daniel, who uh, broke into this abandoned warehouse with me the first time, like the next year he got arrested for like climbing a water tower in Texas when he was on tour with his band. So he was like, I'm never going on trespass property again, bro. And I was like, well, I haven't been arrested yet, so I'm still going to do it. So we went up, and uh, we finally got into this place again. It was like the gnarliest thing ever. And, and for me, like, again, I'm still not that much of a risk taker, but I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get into that building. So I've gained weight since high school at this point. Like, my wife has made me a lot of good meals. All my friends are still skinny. Like, I am the least skinny of my friends. Not a huge man, but still, like, not skinny like my friends. So they're all climbing the fence, and I couldn't get over the fence. And I was like... Oh my gosh, and all my friends are like on the roof of this abandoned warehouse, and I'm just like this chubby guy who can't get over the fence. And I'm like, oh, this stinks. So I was like, God, what do I do? God, help me to trespass on this property. Um, Please help me, Lord. And I got this idea. If I can't climb over the fence, I will dig a hole underneath. So it felt like a prison break. I was like on my hands and knees digging this hole, but I made it. I crawled underneath, and then I made it to this ladder to get on the roof. And so back in the day, we, we had this other way of going, like this sideway. That way it was all blocked off. So now the only way to get on the roof was to climb this ladder. It was like a hundred foot ladder. It was like, how many feet would you say that ladder was, Aaron? You were there. It's... Like a hundred, maybe? It's like taller than the building. Taller than this building, for sure. It was huge. Like, if I fell, I would have died. 
And I literally like almost like freaked myself out. And I was like, I can't do it. And my friend Skyler was like, uh, Skyler Westby was like, you can do this, Aaron. I believe in you. It's Justin's, Justin's brother. Just like super monotone, like, hey, man, you got this, bro. So I climbed it. I made it up there. Then we got to the building. And um, to get inside the building, I had to climb up a like drain pipe and like hoist myself in through like an air vent which was the most physically taxing thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I was just like ready to die after that. Um, but I made it in and it was awesome. It was this great moment where it was like, we took this risk and we made it in this building and that we hadn't been in since we were sophomores in high school. And me and all my friends were rejoicing and it was just like this great reunion of epicness. And then we got out and as we're driving down the mountain, um, I'm in a car with Trevor uh, Daigle, the guy who jumped off the wall in the first story, and a couple of my friends, and we're driving. And all of a sudden, we're coming down this corner, and we see this, like, woman. But our car flashes our lights on her, and literally, she was like, like, she looked like a skeleton. And it looked like she had no teeth and no eyes. She was white with long blonde hair. She was, like, skinny as a skeleton, and she was just walking towards our car like, like, zombie. And literally, like, we swerved our car, we almost drove off a cliff, and it was just, it was insane. We were like, what the heck was that? She looked like a demon lady. So we got down the mountain, and, like, we were freaking out. It was, like, the scariest thing we'd ever seen in our life. And um, I remember, you know, my friends and I were talking, and, you know... When we first got into the warehouse, like, I was, I was kind of, you know, being a leader, you know, like, getting other people to go on this adventure. But then... It's this weird, this weird thing came over me and I became in a moment a bad leader <laughs> because all of my friends are freaking out. Like I was looking at my friend like Caleb, who's like one of the toughest guys I know. And literally like his eyes were like misting up because we were all so scared. Like it was just like we were so freaked out by this scary lady walking towards our car who literally looked demon possessed. And I was like, guys, we got to go back. Looking back, that was a terrible, terrible thing to say. But there's just something in me that was like, I wanted to go back and see if she was real or if we all just imagined her, which doesn't make sense because we all saw her. So I was being a bad leader in that moment, <laughs> causing my friends to take a risk that was an unnecessary risk. But I got everyone psyched up and I was like, guys, if we don't go back, we will never know if like we will never know what she was all about. So we drive back up the mountain and we're looking for this witch of the woods and we drive up and we, we see her and she's standing by her car. It's, you know, her car is probably broken down. And we're looking at her, and we can only see her from behind. And, like, we're driving up, and we shine the lights, and she looks behind her shoulder. She's like, ah, like, just like, and we're like, what the heck is going on? And we stop her car, and we're just shining our lights on her. And she, like, have you guys seen Lord of the Rings? Like, you guys know Smeagol? It was, like, literally, like, she was like, I don't know. Like, just freaking out. And then she started doing this weird little demon dance, literally. She was like this, and she looked back at us, and then she was like, like back and forth and at that point like my friend Trevor was driving and he was like oh no oh heck no and he put the car in reverse and he started backing up and we got out of there and it was literally like we we could have died like we pieced together the puzzles later and we were like <laughs> there's like people up in the mountains who are involved in like witchcraft and like meth so we're pretty sure that this lady was like like pretending her car was broken down so she could murder people up in the woods it was a bad risk for Sure. So um, that long rambling story is me trying to get us to look at the reality of we like to take risks. Like if you're like me, like, whoa, 
That was risky. Um, Sorry, bad joke. Anyway, if you're like me, you know, there's times where you like to take risks and there's times that you don't. But we have to understand, like, why do we take risks? Like, for me in high school, it was just, like, the adrenaline. It was seeking the rush. It was seeking the thrill. Even, like, the popularity of people looking at me and being like, Aaron's brave. Why should we actually take risks? Because like I did up in the mountains, some risks lead to bad things. For instance, as a teenager, a lot of you guys may be struggling with wanting to take risks for the wrong reasons. For instance, like bringing drugs to a party so that people will look at you and think you're awesome, but really you're causing people to stumble. Or... or like trying to get your friends to drink with you when you're underage and and leading to all of a sudden now your friends are getting drunk or even gossiping. Like it's a risk to gossip. You're risking that other people might hear what you're saying and now it's coming back on you, but it's a risk that we love to take because gossip is just so juicy and it feels so good to talk about other people and it makes us feel so much better about ourselves or even breaking the law like me and my friends did. Um, I'm not defending it. It was dumb. Let's look at Ephesians verse 6, or Ephesians chapter 5, sorry. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So what the verse is telling us there in Ephesians is God wants us to live carefully But then he also wants us to make the most of every day. He wants us to take the most of every second. So when he says live carefully, what he's saying there is not like never take risks. He's not saying just sit by and and, and just live this quiet life where you never do anything brave for the Lord. He's saying, no, live carefully because the enemy is always out to get you and because the world's eyes is always on you and you represent Jesus. But then he says, make the most of your life. Every single second of the day, realize that you have an opportunity to do great things for the Lord. Now, I think somebody that we see this with is Peter, okay? The apostle Peter. How many of you guys know about Peter? Pretty much everybody who's a Christian knows about Peter. So Peter is a guy who is constantly being called to take risks. Jesus shows up. He's a fisherman, okay? Jesus shows up and says, Peter, leave your fishing business and follow me. Understand what Jesus was asking Peter to do was so risky. In those days, like how many of you guys have ever looked for a job? Anybody? How many of you guys have ever, um, like, like you were looking for a job and it looked like you were going to get the job and then you were like, uh, I don't know if I like that job. I want to find something I like better. Any, anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. So back in Peter's day, it was like you didn't really have those opportunities. It was like if your dad was a fisherman, your only real option in life was to like inherit his fisherman business and keep that business running. And if you got out of that, like someone else is going to take your job and then you're stuck. Like there wasn't really a job market in those days. There wasn't a lot of options. So Peter was running his dad's fishing business. And Jesus was saying, Peter, leave that behind and follow me. Leave behind what's safe and take a risk and follow me. And this continues in Peter's life. As Peter follows Jesus, we see that moment where Jesus is walking on the water and there's that boat, you know, and all the disciples are freaking out because Jesus is walking on water. And like, honestly, if you saw one of your friends walking on water, you would freak out too. You'd be like, what is going on? This is this is weird. This is not normal. Like, I'm a Christian. Like, I know Jesus walked on water, but if Aaron Frizee was walking on water, I'd be like, that's not right. <laughs> like, what is going on? Um, so 
Jesus is walking on water and everyone's freaking out. And Peter is the one guy who's like, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to join him. And he gets out of the boat and he steps on the water and he walks on water just like Jesus. Jesus gives him the supernatural ability to do it. And then what happens? Peter sinks because he sees the waves and he sees the ocean. He's like, oh my gosh, this is so scary. And so he sinks, but yet he followed in the first place and he had that faith and was able to do great things even though he failed at times. Jesus constantly wants to use us even though we fail. He wants us to step out of our comfort zone. You know, for me recently, um, I went to New Zealand on a missions trip. And it was seriously like one of the coolest things that I've ever done. I went to this land where um, the people in New Zealand are called the Kiwis. That's their nickname for themselves. Like, it'd be like, like that's their national bird, the Kiwis. Uh, and they call themselves the Kiwis. Like, if, if you go to New Zealand and you see a New Zealander, you, you could be like, oh, look, a Kiwi. They're like, yeah, I am a Kiwi. Like, that's what they are. And it'd be like if we called ourselves the Eagles, because we're Americans. Like, oh, yeah, we're the Eagles. We don't. But anyway, I'm rambling. Um, Going to New Zealand was definitely like stepping out of my boat. I hadn't been on a long-term missions trip in years at that point in my life. And so I was so comfortable with how things were in my life. And God said, I want you to get on a plane and go to New Zealand. So I went there, and then we went to the skate park. And in the skate park, we were called to witness to these skater kids. And, and I remember like looking at these skater kids and I was just like, oh man, this is so weird. Like I know I'm supposed to talk to them about Jesus, but I'm like this like old guy, I'm almost 30. And like, they're like literally like, these were like seven and eight year old skater kids in New Zealand. So not only are they from a completely different culture than me, but they're just super young and I feel so old compared to them. And I was like, ah, and God was like, hey, step out of the boat, like have faith, take a risk, go talk to them. And I was like, God, I don't know how to start that conversation. I don't skate. Literally, like honestly, guys, this was my strategy on how to fit in at the skate park. My strategy was to get a hat and go like this. I was like, oh, look, I'm a skater now. Like, I'm blending in. No, I absolutely was not blending in. I probably looked so lame. Like, so I'm there trying to blend in. And, and I'm like, God, give me an opportunity to speak for you. Give me some way to start this conversation. And so I go to these skater kids, me and Kelly West, uh, another guy who plays worship here. You probably recognize him. He looks like Thor. He's got like a Viking beard, like down to here. He's amazing. Um, and, and I was like, man, I've got to talk to these kids. And uh, oh, so yeah. Uh, and Carly was there. Um, the, those guys over there, their daughter Carly was there. So me and Carly and Kelly and some of the other guys were there at the skate park. And, and, and we're looking at these kids. And I'm like, God, give me an opportunity. And one of the kids is like up there trying to do this jump. And it's probably as high as that wall was that I said earlier that Trevor Nagel jumped off. He's got a skateboard and he's trying to go down it. But he's a little guy. He's like seven years old. And he's trying to go down this jump and he's so scared. And he's like trying to psych himself up to go on a skateboard down it. And so he would like kind of gear himself up and he'd start going. And then he'd be like, oh, and he like couldn't do it. And I'm going to literally break my iPad. Um, and his friend, his buddy, was like, hey, man, I don't worry. If you die, you'll go to heaven. That's literally what he sounded like. That's my New Zealand accent. And his buddy was like, I don't know, man. I can't do it. He's like, hey, man, if you die, you'll go to heaven. Like, literally, he said it four times. He's like, if you die, you'll go to heaven. (laughs) Literally. And so I was sitting there. I was like, that's my window. That's my opportunity. They're talking about heaven. I'm all about heaven and Jesus. So rad. So I go over and I'm like, hey. I heard you talking about heaven. I didn't say, I didn't be like, hey, I heard you talking about heaven, because that would be really offensive to them. So I just said it in my American accent. I was like, hey, dudes, I heard you talking about heaven. And they're like, yeah, if you do, you'll go to heaven. And I was like, sweet. Why do you think that? 
And they were like, I don't know, because like, you're a good person. Like, yes, I don't know. And so it started this conversation where me and Carly and Kelly and these other guys were able to start talking to them about Jesus. And it was so rad. By the end of the conversation, we were able to pray with them to receive Jesus. And it was so cool. It was that moment where God was showing me taking risks is so important. Because so many times you're going to be called to take a risk for the Lord. And you're just going to be like, oh, man, what if I look awkward? What if it's hard? Like, what if they don't receive what I have to say? What if I fail? That's constantly why we don't take risks. It's because fear of failure. But in anything that you do for the Lord, as long as you've obeyed him, you haven't failed. Catch that. If God tells you to do something and you obey him, even if by the world's standards you fail, by God's standards you've succeeded because you've obeyed him. Seriously. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. And in his eyes, you've succeeded. Now, Peter is a guy... Going back to Peter, who he walks on water and he has that great moment. Even though he sinks, God raises him back up and he pulls him out of the water. And Peter has a life filled with risk-taking for the Lord. For instance, when Peter hears that Jesus has risen from the dead, he's the first guy to the tomb. Him and John, they run down. That was risky to show up at the tomb. That tomb probably had Roman soldiers crawling all around it just waiting for Jesus' disciples to show up so that they could arrest them and say, did you steal the body? And yet Peter takes a risk and he goes to the tomb. Peter gets up and in the book of Acts, he preaches in front of 3,000 people and, and they give their life to the Lord. He gets this massive crowd and he gets up and he preaches this message, open air preaching, and he could have been arrested for it. He takes a risk and like thousands of people get saved. Peter actually eventually does get arrested and the Pharisees drag Peter before the court and, and, and they're like, Peter, you need to stop preaching about Jesus. If you don't stop preaching, we literally will kill you. And Peter's response is so classic. He's like, how could I ever stop? How could I stop preaching about the greatest person of all time? Like, that's your defense? You're gonna kill me? Like, I'm gonna go to heaven. If I die, I'll go to heaven, is what he said. Not, okay, anyway. <laughs> I love Peter because he is following in the footsteps of the ultimate risk taker, and that is Jesus. Think about it. Think about how much Jesus risked coming down to earth as a man, coming down from his heavenly throne and living. Like, how many of you guys agree that people are pretty terrible? Anybody? Yeah, people are the worst. <laughs> and Jesus came to be with people, the worst. Like people who literally beat him and ripped out his beard and cursed him and, and said all sorts of horrible rumors about him. Like think about all the drama you went through in junior high, people gossiping about you, like all those terrible things. Jesus went through that times a million. You can't even imagine. And yet he takes this risk for humanity because he loves them. There was this one time we were doing a beach bonfire night down by the pier. And I remember uh, we were just getting ready to start the message or worship or something. I can't remember. But there was all this commotion. And it was down by the pier. We heard that somebody had fallen off the pier. And so Aaron and I think Dylan, um, was it Dylan at the time? You, you guys ran over to check it out, right? You remember that? So they ran over because they're like, you know, Aaron's a paramedic or an EMT. He, he does that kind of thing. And so he, there's this mindset of like, we can maybe help. So Aaron runs over and, and you know, he comes back and he's like, Dude, the craziest thing happened. There was this little girl who fell off the pier and there was this guy on the pier who dove in to try to rescue her. And in the process of doing that, he like broke his leg or I can't remember what he did, but he got hurt really bad jumping off that pier. The girl ended up being fine and he ended up getting wounded. And I just thought, what a picture of Jesus. Like he took that risk for us. He dove out of heaven into earth because we were gonna die. We were gonna suffer. And in the end, Jesus is the wounded one and we're the one who comes out saved. 
saved. Jesus is this ultimate example of taking risks for God's plan. And, and I want to ask you guys, like, what is God calling you to take risks about? Like, what is God calling you to do in order to follow in his footsteps? Now, here's another thing to talk about. Because we talk about, like, taking risks for God. And, and, you know, we can be kind of uneasy when that comes up because we're kind of like, oh, man, like, taking a risk for God, does that mean I have to go to Africa? Does that mean I have to, like, quit my job and sell everything I own? Uh, does that mean I have to become homeless and live on the streets? Uh, you know, and, and in our head, we can think about that, and we're like, well, Peter stepped out of the boat, so I'm called to step out of the boat, too. And, and there's this idea of risk-taking. Like, we almost glamorize it, to be honest, because, uh, like, literally, like, Instagram, like all over Instagram, you see the risk-taking industry. It's the skydivers, right? We see the skydivers like with their pictures on Instagram. We're like, those guys are so cool. I want to take risks like them. Or, or the free climbers, the people who climb the mountains without a harness. Or the white river rafters or the snowboarders or the guys who do cliff diving. And when we see these pictures on Instagram, we're like, those guys are so cool. I wish I could be like them. Because there's this pride and honor in our culture about going and doing. Like how how many of you guys think like when people post those selfies from the mountaintop, like how cool is that? And it's got the view behind it and all of us look at it and we go, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be that. Even missions trips, you know, how many of you guys have ever like, you know, seen someone's photos when they come back from a missions trip and you feel bad about your own spiritual life because you're like, I'm not going on that missions trip. I don't feel as spiritual as they do. And, and, you know, we applaud risk taking. Whether it's for self-reasons, like going up on a mountain and taking a selfie, or for God, we applaud risk-taking and we can feel bad about ourselves when we're not doing those things. But you know what? Honestly, honestly, the other side of the coin is oftentimes, for a lot of us, taking a risk for God doesn't mean going, but it means staying where God has you, which is not as glamorous. Like, it's, you can't really take a selfie, like, in your messed up situation and have it be glamorous as the mission field. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of times, we're called to stay. We're called to stay exactly where God put us. He's constantly calling us to go, but he's also often calling us to stay and work in the situation that we're in, which can be hard because we're often in situations we want to get out of. I've got to get away from my family. I've got to get away from my brother or my sister. I've got to get away from my teachers or my friend group or that person who backstabbed me or, or that bad relationship, that breakup. I've got to get out. I've got to get away to a new scene. There's a story in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul was once on a ship, and that ship was headed for shipwreck. Um, he was a prisoner, already a bad situation, and now his boat is actually in a crazy storm, and it's headed towards the rocks. And all the people on the boat were like, we've got to get out of this boat. This, we're going to crash. We're going to burn. We're going to die. We're going to hit those rocks, and it's going to be terrible. But Paul gets a vision from the Lord. An angel appears to him. And so Paul goes to the people on the boat, and he says, hey, guys, actually, I heard from the Lord, and God said, stay in the ship. Now, think about it. That's the complete opposite of what God told Peter. God says, stay in the ship, a ship that is headed for shipwreck. How crazy is that? And yet that's what God says. And what Paul says is, listen, guys, I know you think we're going to die, but God has given me this vision. And what God has told me is if we stay in this ship, yes, we're going to crash. But guess what? No one will die. There will be no loss of life, only the loss of the ship. The physical, but the spiritual will not die. 
And so Paul convinces everyone to stay. He's like pulling people, saying, don't jump overboard. And they hit those rocks, and they stay in the boat, and the boat explodes, and everyone goes flying. And guess what? They all end up on the beach, alive, safe, and sound, in a little village where they've got villagers now who are taking care of them. And that's the crazy thing. God sometimes puts us through situations and we want to bail. Like we want to like go on a missions trip to get away from our problems. We want to move schools. We want to skip town. We want to go stay at our friend's house because family drama is too much and we can't handle it. And yet sometimes God says, stay in this situation because I want to work in and through you in it. I want to grow you in this situation. You know, right now, um, I'm getting ready for a two-month trip to Ireland. And I've been praying about this for 10 years. And the crazy thing is God put it on my heart 10 years ago. And so 10 years ago, I started praying. And I was like, so God, I'm going now, right? And God was like, well, no, actually stay. Stay in Vista. Stay with the youth group. Like, stay being a counselor at the core junior high. Uh, stay as the youth pastor. Now, stay as the high school pastor. Don't go anywhere. Just, just stay put. And I was like, God, what on earth? Like, why would you call me to stay? And I realized that even though God put a vision on my heart to go on a missions trip to Ireland, he wanted to teach me patience and trusting in him. And honestly, he's grown me so much through that process of like respecting him and not leaving when I wanted to leave, but to stay. And, and, and like, honestly, like even in 2009, there was a missions trip to Ireland that I could have gone on. And God was like, don't go on that trip. I'm like, what? It's just, a, it's just like a few week trip. Like Aaron went on that trip, I think, right? To Ireland. Did you go? It was my sister Amanda, I think. Joel. Yeah. Joel went. Yeah. And it was just like, man, Joel gets to go. Amanda gets to go. Why can't I go? And God was like, just stay put. And it taught me so much. And now I'm going on this two month trip and it's like, it's, it's all paying off that patience. But it was hard at times. Listen, for you guys right now, like you might be in school, and maybe this school year was horrible for you, okay? Horrible. People gossip, teachers were bad, like things were rough, and you just want to leave. You just want to like go to a different school next year. Well, listen, that might be God's plan for you to go to a different school, but have you thought to ask him? Because maybe God has something he wants you to do at that school that you're suffering at. Maybe God wants to use you in an amazing way at that school next year, and you can't even imagine that, and God's like, if you just stay where I have put you, I will bless you and I will use you. Some of you guys right now, you're fighting with your parents and you just cannot wait to get out of their house. And yet God has called you right now to stay in that house and to be a light in that house and to mend broken relationships in your house between you and your parents and your siblings. Are you willing to stay put in that situation and honor the Lord? Some of you guys, maybe you're in a relationship. Maybe it's your first dating relationship ever. And you thought things were going to be all roses and butterfly kisses after bedtime prayers. I, that's an old song from the 90s. Anyway, but like you, sorry, so dumb. But you know what I mean? Like you're in your first relationship and you're, you just had this idea that everything was going to be rosy. And now you've had your first couple fights in your relationship. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm dating Satan. I need to get out of this relationship. This is terrible. This is horrible. I need to find someone I never fight with. Guess what? They don't exist. And so, you know, some of you guys are in relationships you need to get out of. Honestly, like pretty much in high school, like there's always a percentage of you where it's just like, yeah, you're in a bad relationship. That person's terrible for you. Get out. But some of you guys might be in a relationship where the going has got a little tough. Go to the Lord and see what he says, because he might say, no, I want you to stay in this relationship and work through this and learn how to disagree in love. Don't always run. Don't always have the first instinct to be. I have to get out and do something different. Sometimes God says to stay. 
So to end tonight, my question for you is, what risks is God calling you to take? Is he calling you to stay or is he calling you to go? I think it's always one or the other. Is he calling you to stay or go? In your situation, in, the, in your life, is there something that you need to work through? And it's a risk. Like, honestly, the easy way out is just to ignore it, sweep it under the rug, get out of it. But the risky, the risk-taking Christian way of doing it would be to say, I'm going to stay in this situation and work through it and grow through it. I'm not just going like, to just tap out and go. Or is God calling you to leave your comfort zone and do something you've never done before? Maybe to start a Christian club at your school next year. And God is calling you as a freshman, sophomore, senior, junior. God is calling you this summer to study the Bible like you've never studied it before. To pour into God's word so that you can plant a Christian club at your, your public school next year. Or even Christian or school. Because Christian schools need Christian clubs too. Maybe God is calling you to like ask somebody out next year that you're so scared of asking out, but it's like somebody God has for you and you're so intimidated by that. And it's like, oh my gosh, like maybe God is calling you as a young man or young woman to grow so deeply in love with him this summer, like to take a chance on Jesus and grow in your relationship with him so that you're ready. You're ready to be in an actual relationship with someone else. Not just going off of feelings and emotions, but being the kind of boyfriend or girlfriend where you lead that person to the Lord. Not like, I'm not saying like they're, they're unsaved and you don't do that. Don't missionary date. But I'm saying you, as a disciple of Jesus, the person that you're dating, you're pointing them to Jesus just like husbands and wives should be doing. Like maybe God is calling you to disciple somebody. And you're like, you're like a sophomore. And God is calling you this summer to like find a junior high kid in the junior high ministry and take them out to lunch and like read the Bible with them and like bless them. Like guys, are we taking risks for the Lord? Are we doing big things that we normally would never do? Are we saying to God like, what do you have for me? Like, how can I not just do the status quo this summer? How can I not just go through summer and have every day be like serial cartoons and video games and then like go to sleep? Like, how can I do something out of the ordinary for the Lord? So that's my question for you. What is God calling you to do? What risk is he calling you to do? To stay, to go? What is it? Let's pray. And I'm just gonna pray that God just sinks this message in and that you ask yourself that question tonight. And that God gives you an answer. Lord, we love you. I just thank you so much for this awesome group of Christ followers. God, you have called them to be sons and daughters of you to be followers, to be the kind of students who love their parents and respect them and honor them, to be the kind of eventual boyfriends and girlfriends who just have awesome relationships that bless you and bring honor to your name, to be the kind of students who just bless the socks off their teachers, to be the kind of friends who lift each other up and not gossip and backbite and tear each other down. God, you call them to be risk takers, Help them to figure out what that means for them this summer, to stay, to go, to follow wherever you call them to go or to stay. The most important thing is that they're following you. Help them this summer to follow you like they've never followed you before, to go deeper, to chase after your heart in a new and fresh way. Fill them with that spirit, that desire to seek you if there's anyone here who wants that spirit and they feel like they don't have it, God, in this moment, I just ask you would give it to them. Fill them with that spirit that just craves you, Jesus, and can't get enough of you. Bless them today, Lord. In your name, amen.